From Brown Cow Studios in Gallatin Gateway, Montana, I'm Ezra Graham. NPR's chief economics correspondent, Scott Horsley, joins us this week to discuss the stock market, November's unemployment and jobs reports, how the Omicron variant might affect the economy, inflation, and more. This week on News Nerds for Friday, December 17th, 2021. That's all coming up on News Nerds. Scott Horsley is NPR's chief economic reporter, and he joins us now to talk economics, uh, Omicron, stocks, unemployment rate, uh, the jobs report that just came in. Thanks for being with us. It's my pleasure, Ezra. So we saw the job, uh, the, the job report. I mean, we still had job increases in November, but they weren't as big as many would like to see. So why did we see this uh, increase take a hit this month? Yeah, this was a very interesting report that came out on Friday. It showed that employers added only 210,000 jobs in November. That would be the weakest job gain all year, and it's less than half what we saw in October and, and about less than half what analysts were expecting. At the same time, a separate survey, the jobs report comes from a survey of businesses, the, the government does a separate survey of households, that was much more encouraging. And that showed more, nearly 600,000 people coming back into the workforce, which is something we've been waiting to see. A lot of folks have been on the sidelines and businesses have been saying they'd like to hire more people. So it was very encouraging to see people coming into the workforce. And the household survey actually showed more than a million people finding jobs in November. So ordinarily the two surveys tell roughly similar stories. November was a month when they told very different stories. The the jobs number was really disappointing, suggesting a real slowdown, a loss of momentum in the labor market. The household survey was much more encouraging, showed people feeling good, coming back in the workforce, and a lot of them finding jobs. We'll kind of have to wait and see which of those bears out. In, In general, economists tend to put more weight on the the job survey, the business survey, because it's a, it's a larger survey, it tends to be less volatile. Both of these surveys were done in, in mid-November, so before the Omicron variant was discovered. Uh, and we know that even before Omicron reared its ugly head, there was a, 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 an increase in coronavirus infections and hospitalizations in the U.S. Typically, over the last year and a half, we've seen that whenever the public health outlook sours, the job market quickly sours as well. Um, but we'll, we'll just have to kind of wait and see whether this was really an early warning sign of another wave of the coronavirus pandemic or whether this was kind of a statistical fluke and maybe maybe the numbers will be uh, adjusted in the months to come. We, we have seen that in, in previous months, the, the sort of first blush take on how many jobs were added tends to be on the low side. And when, and when they do revisions, they get revised upwards. So we'll see if that happens in November as well. Now, with the jobs report, uh, which job sectors gained and lost the most jobs in November? Yeah, well, it, it looked as if the, the, the biggest weakness was in what we can think of as sort of COVID-sensitive industries. Uh, retail, for example, face-to-face retail actually showed a loss of jobs. 
which, which really means that retailers weren't adding as many jobs as they usually do in anticipation of the Christmas shopping season. Bars and restaurants added only uh, about 11,000 jobs, which is you know, a small fraction of what they've been adding in previous months. So the sort of the face-to-face jobs that we would expect to be the most sensitive to ups and downs in the coronavirus pandemic showed the greatest weakness. Sectors that are more insulated from the pandemic, things like construction and manufacturing, had stronger job gains in November. And uh, warehousing and, and delivery jobs, which we can sort of think of as being mostly tied to kind of online orders, those, those showed gains. So it may be that the, the slowdown in retail jobs was partly, again, part of the shift to more online shopping, which we've seen kind of throughout the pandemic, and, and especially in, in periods when consumers are a little bit more wary about going out and, and doing their shopping in person. So do you expect to see uh, job reports like November's or do you expect that report to show um, a, a better increase in jobs? Yeah, well, that's that's a very good question. I mean, I did not I, I did not. And I think a lot of people did not expect the slowdown that we saw in November. As I say, it was it was a disappointing headline jobs. Number 210 was less than half what most forecasters were projecting. I think a lot of folks were you know, on tenterhooks thinking, well, if this Omicron variant turns out to be sort of like Delta or maybe even worse than Delta, we could see a slowdown maybe in December and January, but we didn't expect to see this, the slowdown in, in, in November. So to see the slowdown in hiring in November was, was kind of worrisome. We'll see again if that, if, that turns, if that proves to be kind of a fluke and it gets revised upwards and we have stronger job growth going forward or if that's the beginning of a real slowdown in the, in the, in the, in the overall labor market. There, there are other indicators that are more encouraging. You know, we, we get surveys every month of say factory managers and service sector managers. And, and both of those surveys have been pointing to really stronger job gains throughout the economy. And we know that consumers are still spending a lot of money. So really there, sh- and if in fact the, household piece of the November survey, which showed all these new people coming into the job market, that suggests we could be seeing stronger job gains in the months to come. But but certainly November was a disappointment. And, and whether that was a one-month fluke that we'll see a turnaround or the beginning of a longer slowdown, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. So you mentioned Omicron, uh, the new COVID variant that was uh, detected in South Africa on the 23rd of November. How do you expect jobs to be affected and the unemployment rate to be affected by Omicron? Well, it probably won't help. <laughs> uh, I think the question is, is it going to be a, you know, a, a, a small problem or a big problem? And we just don't really know yet, as, as, as probably as Michaeline and, 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 and her colleague from The Times told you, you know, there's still a lot of unknowns about this new variant. Uh, most importantly, you know, is it more contagious? Does it cause more significant symptoms and, and illness? And is it more resistant to the existing vaccines? Those are, those are the, the big outstanding questions, and we just don't really know. But worst case scenario, if, if it were 
to cause, say, a large uptick in hospitalizations and maybe deaths, then we would expect that that would be a further drag on the job market going forward. If it turns out to be not such a big deal, then the, then the general momentum in the job market should be positive and we should continue to see strong job gains. And, and the uncertainty as we, as we sort of wait for, for real, real data on this, as we wait for real results to answer those questions, is that that's why you're seeing the stock market, for example, go through these sort of wild ups and downs where investors are kind of just playing a guessing game here. Nobody really knows what the Omicron variant is going to do. And they're, you know, they're reacting to speculation and, and whim and, and, you know, little bits and piecemeal information. Ultimately, we'll get an answer. Hopefully in the next, you know, in the next week or two, we'll get pretty solid information from some of the preliminary studies they're doing. And certainly over the next month or so, we'll see real world data to tell us what what kind of impact this is having. But but we do know throughout the course of the pandemic, whether it's the Delta variant or even just ups and downs in, in the coronavirus pandemic based on weather and, and sort of human traffic patterns, whenever there is a spike in hospitalizations, whenever there's a spike in deaths, then, then the economy suffers. Uh, partly because, you know, in the early phases, this is because the government would sort of order restrictions and it would shut down businesses and there'd be more more regulations and so forth but but more importantly just consumers adjust their behavior and if consumers don't feel safe going out and eating in restaurants or going to the movie theater or getting on an airplane uh, that takes a toll on the economy and on the flip side if workers don't feel safe working in restaurants or working in grocery stores or working in airlines, uh, then it's harder for, for the economy to grow. And, and so you need confidence both on the consumer side and on the worker side. And the potential is that the Omicron variant will erode that. And until we sort of see evidence that maybe it's, it, it either, you know, the evidence will tell us, is that going to really be a problem or is it going to be maybe kind of a, uh, a false alarm. There, there, you know, there have been other variants where there was sort of a lot of concern early on that they didn't really materialize. They didn't really turn out to be that bad. Delta did turn out to be bad. We, we saw a real slowdown in the economy in the summer when the Delta wave hit. And we're just going to have to kind of wait and see how Omicron shakes out. Now, there's still a more than 4% unemployment rate. Uh, why do you, what are the factors that are contributing to the fact that, that Americans are not seeking work? Well, you can look at that in a, in a number of ways. On, uh, you know, the, so the unemployment rate actually fell from 46 to 4.2% in November. Uh, at, the, at the worst of the downturn, the unemployment rate was nearly 15%. So we've actually seen a, a pretty considerable improvement in the unemployment rate uh, since late spring, early summer of 2020, when it was up around 15%. Uh, and again, as I say, in November, we did see nearly 600,000 people come back in the workforce. So that's encouraging. But that said, we still have something like two and a half million people who left the workforce over the course of the pandemic who have not yet returned. And that's, uh, that's worrisome. The potential of the economy depends on having people in the workforce. And if you've got two and a half million people who are still on the sidelines who used to be in the workforce who aren't anymore, that is a drag on the broader economy. Now, 
there's, there's lots of different reasons why people might be staying on the sidelines. Obviously, if the health outlook is not good, some people will just be worried about going back to working in an environment where they might be worried about getting sick. That's very understandable and, and reasonable. Uh, some may be busy looking after kids. Uh, that was especially true you know, when, when schools were not doing a lot of in-person schooling. Uh, but but parents who have young children may be busy looking after children. Uh, a lot of the daycare centers that were open before the pandemic have, have not yet reopened. So there's a lot of caregiving responsibilities that have shifted on to parents. And then there's also what we what we've been sort of colloquially calling the the great resignation or just the great reassessment, where you know, given time away from the workplace, lots of people have taken this moment to sort of rethink what is it, what's important to me? What do I want to do with my life? What kind of work do I want to do? How do I want to spend my, my hours? And some folks have, have decided they don't want to go back to jobs that they didn't find very rewarding or that they, they found stressful or, and that weren't, you know, economically rewarding or spiritually rewarding or psychically rewarding or whatever. And, and so there's, there's just sort of a big reconsideration. So ultimately, we're going to have to deal with all those things. Uh, we're going to have to make sure that the health outlook is such that people feel safe being on the job. We're going to have to make sure that children and, and other family members who, who need care are getting care in, in, in some fashion. And then we're going to have to, you know, employers are going to have to find a way to make jobs rewarding enough that people want to come back and, and do them. Uh, and, you know, if we do all those things, then eventually we, we probably will assume that most of those two and a half million people will come back in the workforce and, and, and more will join as, as normally happens, you know, more the, the workforce is in general grows over time. So we would expect more people to come back. But, but right now we have several forces that are kind of keeping people out of the workforce and, and those have to be dealt with. The, 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 the other thing that's going on, of course, is, you know, economically during the pandemic, Congress provided a lot of support for people who weren't working. And there's been some criticism that maybe there was too much support provided and that kept people from going back to work. Most of those unemployment benefits and other subsidies have, have kind of lapsed by now. So, so that's going to that's gonna kind of wash out and, and, and pe- people, will, people will have to find a way to you know, pay the rent and put, put food on the table and so forth. So that, that should also encourage people to go back to work at, at some point. So if people are out of work, they're not getting a steady uh, source of income. So how are people paying the bills, uh, making ends meet and, you know, supporting a family, even uh, just even feeding themselves, basics like that? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, as I say, you know, during the course of the pandemic, Congress moved to substantially increase unemployment benefits for a while. And then they also provided just sort of blanket benefits to people, whether they were working or not. There were, there were three rounds of, of checks that went out to, to individuals and families to, to help out. And so some people did manage to you know, pad their bank accounts during the course of the pandemic with, with that government largesse, and, and that's provided a little bit of a cushion. And, and so some folks who, are, who have not gone back to work may be still relying on those government benefits they received over the over the last year and a half at some point of course you know i mean the the expanded unemployment benefits lapsed across the country in september they had lapsed in about half the states before that 
the three rounds of, of uh, relief payments, you know, the last of those came out in the springtime. So that, that money is presumably being whittled away month by month. And, and so at some, at some point, if, if folks are relying on that, that government subsidy to pay the rent or, or put food on the table, you know, that, that gravy train will come to an end or ha has come to an end and, 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 and will be, will be spent down in the months to come. And so that, so, so then folks will have to find another way to support themselves. So um, looking at the, at the stock market right now, you mentioned that the stock market is having these kind of crazy days up and down. And right now the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 17 hundredths of a percent or 59 points. And the S&P is down 84 hundredths or uh, 38 points. That's not going to be relevant when listeners hear this, but Overall, it's just been uh, a very turbulent stock market. So uh, why is it doing that? Um, and what will happen when the Omicron variant uh, starts to, when we start to learn more about the Omicron variant and what its effects are on, uh, on people, whether that they're unvaccinated or vaccinated? Yeah. Well, the, the Omicron variant is a considerable source of uncertainty. As I say, there's a, there's a lot of unknowns about what the fallout from the Omicron variant will be, and and unknown still about the broader picture of the of the pandemic and 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 all the economic fallout from it, and and the market generally doesn't like uncertainty. So investors have been kind of clutching at straws and trying to figure out well which way is it going to go? Is it going to be is it going to be really bad? Is it going to be a little bad? Is it going to be not so bad? And and uh, it, there's been a lot of volatility in the market ever since the Omicron variant reared its ugly head. The, the markets have been on, on kind of a, a, a zigzag pattern. Now that said, uh, we should keep in mind the market overall is is still way up from the beginning of the year. Um, I think the Dow was up, you know, double digits, and the and the S and P was up even higher uh, since the beginning of the year. So. Uh, it, you know, it's not like we're we've retreated into you know negative territory, but in general, the stock market had basically been priced—I won't say for perfection, but had been had been priced very high. I mean, investors had basically been putting all the worrisome signs about the pandemic kind of behind them and anticipating really good things ahead. And so, the Omicron is another kind of wake up call, hey, maybe it's not gonna be that easy. Not to say we're going back in the ditch, not to say we're gonna go back to the spring of 2020 where the you know the, the market lost an enormous amount of value, which it then quickly recovered. But but the notion that, you know, uh, uh, the Dow, I mean, all the major stock indexes have been hitting record highs before the Omicron variant hit. And the news that, you know, maybe we're not really done with this pandemic yet, I think has has had investors kind of questioning that a little bit and saying, okay, maybe we should pull back a little bit. But, but you know, as I say, still, still in, in very positive territory for the year. The other big question for, for investors, of course, is what's going to happen with inflation? What's the Federal Reserve going to do? Is, are interest rates going to go up uh, in, in an effort to control inflation? You know, we, we've seen prices rising at the fastest pace in 30 years, and that's putting pressure on the central bank to, to maybe move more quickly to raise interest rates. Uh, so investors have to factor that in as well. So all, all that's adding to the volatility in the market, but, but the big picture, you know, for long-term investors, the market is still 
uh, well ahead of the game for 2021. Right. It looks like the uh, Dow is uh, right now at 34,580 points and the S&P is at 4,538 points. Um, So that's up a lot. I remember when President Trump uh, made the announcement that the Dow Jones was at 30,000. Now it's at 4,000 from that announcement. Um, But you mentioned inflation at the end. how worried should we be um, about inflation as we see uh, gas prices go up and you did a piece for NPR about the uh, 12 days of Christmas and how the prices um, from those 12 items have uh, gone up or gone down since uh, last year. So inflation is on many people's minds, but how worried should we be about that? Inflation has been running hotter than we're used to in this country in October, we're going to get a new inflation reading for November at the, at the end of this coming week, but in, inflation in October was 6.2%. That's the highest it's been in nearly three decades. I'm old enough to remember when inflation was, you know, in the double digits. So 6.2% is worrisome. It's uh, it's, you know, we're not talking Weimar Germany or anything like that, but some of the biggest drivers of inflation have been things like gasoline, which have, an outs- which have always had an outsized psychological effect on people. I mean, when you go to the gas station, the price of gas is, is up there on a giant sign at the edge of the gas station. Um, uh, and, and I don't want to minimize that in any way. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a significant cost. If, 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 gas, if gas is up, you know, uh, at, at 340 a gallon or, or whatever it might be, uh, that, that affects people in a real way. However, we should keep this in perspective. Gasoline is a smaller part of the typical family budget now than it used to be. Automobiles are more fuel efficient than they used to be. You, the, the cost of taking a thousand mile road trip now is, is you know, lower than it was when the typical vehicle got fewer miles to the gallon than it does now. So none of that is to make this inflation painless, but it's not quite as painful as as people might think it is if they only focus on the most visible prices like gasoline and groceries. Both the Federal Reserve and the White House have been arguing with some justification that the reason prices are high is mostly because of the pandemic. It's mostly because of supply chain bottlenecks and, and labor shortages tied to the pandemic. And they're assuming that as the pandemic recedes, these big price hikes will will level off and will go back to something more like the normal level of inflation we've been experiencing for the last decade or so. You know, in fact, for, for many of those years, inflation was lower than the Fed would like it to be. They, their, their long-term goal is to have inflation average around 2%. And for much of the last decade, it was less than that. So they'd like to get back to something like that. And I think we will as we get through the pandemic. But the the big question is whether these price hikes have become baked in to the economy where people start to expect the prices will continue to spiral upward and, and that we'll be left, left with a more persistent upward inflation. And that's what the Fed really wants to guard against. And if they feel like we're getting in that, in, in that if we're moving in that direction, then they will move more aggressively to raise interest rates and that then will 
have the potential to, to slow the economy pretty substantially. Scott, thank you so much for talking economics with me today. Well, it's been my pleasure. Uh, it's been fun. That was Scott Horsley. He's NPR's Chief Economics Correspondent. Scott recorded our interview on December 5th. Some of the information that we used in this interview may have changed since then. That's it for this week's episode of News Nerds. You can find us on the web at newsnerdspodcast.com. There you can listen to past episodes of News Nerds, Cow Pies, and other News Nerds extras. You can also listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. While you're there, please subscribe to the podcast. While you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Another way to listen is by listening every other week on Thursdays at 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time on KJVM Community Radio for the Gallatin Valley. If you are not in the Gallatin Valley area, go to KJVM's website, kgvm.org, to listen on their live stream. So, as Scott mentioned, one of the things that really has, uh, has the, the price of gas has gone up, and if you were a passerby to a gas station in the last few uh, weeks or even months, you've seen that gas prices around you have probably been higher than you've seen in a long time. So um, stay healthy, uh, and we'll be back next week with another episode of News Nerds. Uh-huh.